All right, good morning, and I'm happy that you guys um, are celebrating with us. This is a, a great month. It's a great time to be uh, a part of Relate. I feel like so many things are happening still for the first time. This is our ninth month and uh, tenth month, but we're still, every week feels like things are happening for the very first time. But right now, I want to kind of jump right into the series for our very last installment of When the Devil Knocks. And if you've been around for the last couple weeks, you know that this is not a series about, ooh, the devil's scary, right? This is not that. This is not for me to, to make you afraid. This is actually for us to engage and challenge the darkness with the light. It kind of all culminates at the end, October 31st, with Light the Night, where we more than symbolically stand in the darkness and bring the light of Christ. And I think that every week I've tried to give you not just to be aware that this is a problem, that the devil is a devourer, he is a liar, he is a thief, he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But also I've tried to give you practical ways that you can challenge that darkness. Practical ways, of course, every week to hold the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and proclaim the Word of God into the darkness, and it fights him back. Resist the devil and he'll flee. But today we're going to kind of take it to, to the last point, and that is um, that the devil is not just a liar. He's not just an accuser. Those are actually parts of his name. He's been called those things. But today we're going to talk about how he is the destroyer, and he would like nothing more than to come into your life and challenge you and to destroy you and to any way that he can, and we're going to talk about those ways in just a second, he would like to destroy the, the work that God is doing in you and to destroy the good things in your life. 1 Peter 5.8, and this is where we'll start. If you, do, if you have a paper and you're taking notes, then write these verses down and go home and read them throughout the week, not just the verse, but the chapter, so you get all of the context. Don't ever feel like I'm just taking verses and pulling them out. We, we read all the way through the chapters and know the scripture. That's, that's for all of us to do. I don't want you to feel like this is your portion of the scripture for the week. This, I hope that Sunday mornings are just a starting point for you and you can really dive in through the week. But here we go. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. In other words, wake up. <laughs> don't get drowsy. Don't get uh, comfortable, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Not that he's great, but that he is a great enemy. He is a powerful presence. And you might not think, well, he's just a puny little old devil. If you're not watching out, he can do a lot of destruction. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So watch out, wake up. Don't be that one that he devours. And it, all it takes is to be alert and ready and know what to do when you hear him knock on the door. Kill and destroy. So you have to know that he's not just this innocuous thing out there. Maybe he might do something. He's an idea or a, a, a little guy in, a, in red tights with a pitchfork and a tail. That's, I don't think that is the devil. I think that's a, the image that we've created of the devil. So the last three weeks, and I'll go through this pretty quickly, but we've talked about how Satan is the deceiver who targets your mind with lies. He targets your heart with accusation and speaks to you and calls you by your problems. He calls you by your sins. He calls you by your failures. 
But today we're going to talk about how Satan is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. And I think probably of the three, this is one of the most challenging because will is something that you can give your heart just like that to God. You can give your life to God in a moment. At the end of the service today, I hope that those who have never made that decision will make that decision. But there comes a, a part of us that every single day, every moment of every day, we have to continue, continually re-give him our will, lay down our own pride. And that's where the, a lot of times the devil can attack us. You know, you may be like me, and you might think that, you know, the devil attacks us in our weakness. But in life, it's sometimes when we feel the strongest. In fact, there's a, a, a great study in the Bible that you can do where weakness and strength are actually not what we think they are. When we are our weakest, then we are our strongest in Him. But when we're very strong and we feel like we're great strength and had a lot of success, sometimes those are the moments when the devil can attack us the easiest, whenever things feel like they're going very well. I could tell you that in my life, from the moment I stepped into ministry, early on in my life, I did not grow up in ministry. I didn't grow up with uh, my parents in ministry and pastors and some people. My wife is a sixth generation uh, minister, pastor, evangelist. But for me, it was new. So when I stepped in, I, I never even knew that you could get a job as a pastor. <laughs> that was not a part of my, my life plan. But the moment I stepped into it and said, okay, God, and, and I'll take on this class. And I, 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 within a couple of years, I was the youth pastor. I figured out real quick that there's a lot of competition among the youth pastor down the street, and all of my friends that I was making who were youth pastors, everybody wants to know, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? How many people you got? And there's a lot of comparison that happens in ministry. If you look at one church to another church, it's almost like they're competing teams. And I'm saying all of that to say this, that a lot of times comparison and competition drives us to a place where we start looking at somebody else and what they're doing, and it makes us see ourselves in a way that God never intended. I'm going to show you where that leads to pride in just a second. I was uh, there and I, I met a guy who is doing what we're doing. He's, he just launched not uh, right up at the same time as us. So, wow, we're kind of in the same boat. Within two sentences, literally within two sentences, he wanted to know how many people do you have and started telling me how many people he had. And I... I refuse to have that conversation, not because we're about the same, but the, the problem is when we, when we look at ourselves in terms of comparison and growth and how good I am or how great I am, listen, it might, for you, it might not be that way. For you, it might be the person who sits in the desk or the office down the hall from you or who works down the way from you. We start to look at other people and judge ourselves based on, and when we do that, pride comes very easily. We have a, a minute of success, and all of a sudden, we're great. About 15 years ago, whenever I became the senior pastor of, uh, of my church, the church was a good size. We had about 12 or so, a dozen billboards around town, and the board decided, uh, you know, we got a new pastor. We got to let the whole community know. Everybody know that we have a new pastor and you're that pastor. And so they said, we're going to put your face on the billboards. 
<laughs> I said, uh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's a really, I don't, I do not want that to happen. So let's figure out how for, I didn't have a choice at that point. They said, no, we really need to do this. We need to, sh-. I said, this doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> I'm telling you within a month, I'm walking around town and people start noticing me and shaking my hand. Hey, you're that guy. And as little or as much as I wanted, it was never my intention. I started thinking, man, everybody knows me now. I must be doing an awesome job. (laughs) I'm a good pastor. (laughs) People know me. I was like, in our city, I'm famous. (laughs) The waiters recognize me. And man, I'm telling you that it started to get to me. And I started to have to think about, why am I doing this? And I started to have challenged the pride in myself. That was never my, sometimes we never have an intention to be prideful. It just happens. Just, just we slip into it. it. Happens real easy. And a lot of times when we don't, well, I'm not prideful. A lot of times, <laughs> that's exactly when we're prideful. But the focus was on me. It was never intent. That was not the board's intention. It wasn't the church's intention. But all of a sudden, the focus became about me and not God. And it, it really matters where our intentions are. I, uh, I saw a video this week, and I want to share it with you real quick. But it kind of speaks to society and where we are as a people. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about whenever all of the focus gets on us. Watch this. One more now. Oh, there you go. Better angle. Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? That's the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken look, myself look, today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Oh, Lord. Every single one is fixed by the technology. David Peralta. <laughs> oh, hold on. I'd take a selfie with the hot dog. Selfie with the churro. Selfie just of a selfie. You know, the beauty of baseball is you can sit next to your neighbor and have a conversation. Or you can just completely ignore them. Peralta knocks it into center. David tonight, two for two, a leadoff single here in the fourth. And nobody noticed. (laughs) It's funny to point at other people, right? Because they're so focused on themselves, they can't even see what's happening around them. But I'm telling you, we all do that. You might not be the one who's stuck in your phone making selfies or taking selfies, but we often put our eyes right on ourselves. And maybe it's somebody else's fault. Maybe it's our fault. We're so focused on ourselves, it's hard to see what's happening around us, much less what God's doing. Part of putting our pride down is realizing that I have to have less of me and more of God. I have, to, I have to somehow tamp down my own desire, my own feelings, my own consciousness about myself and figure out how to focus on God. And it's sometimes in that moment of everything is awesome. Let me get a picture of this. Everything is great. Let me record this. That all of a sudden, pride starts to creep in. And that's exactly what happens to King David. Now, you might probably know the story of King David. And King David had a lot of great wins in his life. Early on, he fights Goliath, and all of a sudden, he's famous, instant fame, instant fame because he killed the giant. And then he becomes king, and then he wins battles, and then people start to write songs about him. Women write songs about him and sing it in the streets. And I can tell you that I'm in, in love with my wife, 
but she has not written any songs about me, and she doesn't sing those songs about me. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's people all over the nation singing about how great David is, and all of a sudden, David has a problem. And I might ask you this, if you know the story of David, what was David's greatest sin? Well, it might be, you might say that it was Bathsheba, and he coveted his neighbor's wife, and he committed adultery, and then in order to cover that up, he sent her husband into war to the front line so he would die. So adultery, jealousy, covetousness, murder, you just go down the line. What was his greatest sin? But I want to present to you today that you might not have ever recognized this, but there, I think, is a greater sin than all of those. Many people believe that his greatest sin was pride and that it led to all of those things. In fact, with the, with the um, adultery and with murder and all those things, there was only inadvertently four people died. But later on, after all of the great success, he decides, okay, I'm going to create, we're going to do a census. I want to count everybody in the kingdom. I want to look and I want to measure. And in other words, he gets ready to take a selfie of the whole nation to record how great of a king he is. And it wasn't just to take a census. It wasn't just to decide, hey, we need to measure and this is what we do. No, it wasn't that. He wanted to know how great am I? Let's count everybody. In 1 Chronicles 21, we see Satan rose up against Israel, the nation of Israel, and incited David to take a census of Israel. So when David's at the top of his game, when David is winning, he's, he's out there singing, we are the champions. He is winning every day. He decides, now's the time to take a selfie. Now's the time. Let's get this recorded because I want everybody to know how good we're doing. I want everybody to know how awesome I am. At the pinnacle of his success, I feel like the devil came in. Hey, why don't you take a, a selfie? Why don't you take a census and just look? Let's just record how great you are. And in that moment, his pride began to rise up. So what's wrong with taking a census? Nothing. But I'm telling you that God does care about your your intentions. God cares about what's in your heart. In fact, the Bible says that he cares more about what's in the heart. He doesn't care about what's on the outside. A lot of times the end result doesn't matter at all to God. What, you, what matters to him is the intentions of your heart. And so you might justify all the intentions of pride and all of the intentions that you have just by saying, well, I ended up and did a good thing. I'm telling you, sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes, often what matters is that your intentions, even if you fail, God sees that and measures the intention of your heart. It wasn't wrong to take a census. In fact, when Moses took a census of all of Israel, he said, hey, I want to count everybody, all of the males, and let's figure out what and who we are, and I want to give an offering to every man, every family. I want to give an offering as an offering to, to how amazing God is for me. In other words, his census was a lot different than David's. David's was to say, I am great. Moses was to say, let's count so we can see how good God is. Numbers are important to God. I'm not, this message is not saying that when, when the Bible says that 5,000 men were fed one day by Jesus and the multitudes and that the disciples came and fishes and loaves, numbers matter to God. 
in another day, on another day, there's, there's a scripture that says that in one day, 5,000 people left the church in the early church. Numbers matter to God. Why? Because numbers aren't just numbers. Numbers are people. But when we start measuring up and adding that importance and value to me or to you and building ourselves up that I am somebody, it's very dangerous. Well, I've done this and I've done that and I've won this battle and that battle. It's such a, a delicate balance. The other side of that where we're saying, I won this battle and God is great. But look what I did. Can be very dangerous. I'll tell you another story about my life whenever I first became a pastor. And this is, uh, I feel like I'm uh, telling on myself this, <laughs> in this message. But I, I, I lived it, so... Whenever I first became a youth pastor, uh, on some Sundays when our pastor was gone, I would preach, right? We had a good-sized church, and I was, as a young guy, I'm a youth pastor, and I can tell you right now that I wasn't a very good preacher. In fact, I could barely get the words out, but I'm telling you, walking out onto stage, as nervous as I was when I was done, I would walk out on stage as a youth pastor having barely any speaking experience. It's my turn. And then, as much as I didn't want to be there, three or four hundred people listening on Sunday morning, I would walk out of there thinking, that man, I am, look at me. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> but we decided, I decided, I just took it a little too far, and I decided, you know what? Let's start announcing when I'm going to preach. <laughs> Because before we didn't, we just, we had every service and no one would know who would be speaking if someone was to be gone. And now we would announce when I would be preaching so everyone could look forward to it, right? <laughs> and so when Pastor Sean would preach, all of a sudden the first time we announce it, nobody comes to church. Well, the crowd was very low. <laughs> I quickly realized, they're not here for me. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is bad. I quickly said, okay, let's not announce it anymore. Let's just like, whoever preaches, we'll just leave it on the schedule. No one will know. <laughs> I had to come to grips with the fact that even as the crowd began to grow, as I got better as a speaker, that it's not about me and that the number doesn't matter. The only thing that really matters is who, what kind of wins is God having? doesn't matter who's speaking or what, what the results are unless the results are for God. Same thing is in your life when you stop counting the wins and stop checking off boxes that you've won and this and you've accomplished this and start saying, okay, God, you've accomplished this in my life. It all comes back to what's in your heart and how you look at it. And really quickly, I'm going to, if I'm working for God, my success is his glory. If I wake up every day, it's all in the, it's all in the, in the perspective in my own mind, and you might think it doesn't matter how I see it. It only matters the end result. I'm telling you, it matters. Because when you wake up every day and you're watching and you're giving your life to God, and God, whatever happens in this day, it belongs to you. Whether I win or I lose, that changes everything. Whether I have great success or great failure, God, my life is yours. All of a sudden, my life changes. When he decides to do this, the general of the army, and I'll read it to you, 1 Chronicles 21, 6, 
Even Joab, Joab, who was the, the, the general of the army, did not include Levi and Benjamin, two of the tribes of Israel, in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. So which was, which was the worst sin, where David commits adultery and murder, or when he decides that he's the most important thing in the kingdom? And two verses are really key here. When you see the difference, whenever, whenever David commits adultery and then murder, he says this to the prophet. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. But later, whenever he rises up in pride and takes a census and tries to count how great he is, he says this to God. He prays, I have sinned greatly by doing this. That's a big difference. A significant difference that he realized this is a great sin. I want you to know today that you may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. You might think that you're vulnerable when you're weak and when you're broken and whenever things are just falling apart, but I promise you, you feel weak, but his strength is in us because we're reaching for him. It's whenever things are going really good, all of a sudden, now we think we can take on the world, that's when we become very weak and we just don't know it. Proverbs 16.8 says, pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. So what does it sound like whenever we start getting filled up with pride? You know, I'm, I'm, I've been going to church for so long, I'm pretty, I've heard this a lot of times before. That's pride. Well, you know, I've already dealt with this a lot of times in my life, so I don't need you to teach me how to, you know... And it's not necessarily just in church things. It's in life in general. We don't want to hear somebody tell us. We can't be taught. We can't be counseled. We can't have people around us who want to help because we know everything. I'm a self-made person. You don't know what I've accomplished in my life. I've done this and this and this, and we're quick to list off all of our accomplishments. You know, I, I know I have a problem, but I don't. it's okay. It's not that big of a problem. I don't really have to deal with it. And I can't really tell anybody about it because what if I tell them, then they will see. And all of a sudden we start imagining how we'll look if we tell someone. And so we can't even tell someone that we have a problem. That's pride. And we're setting ourselves up for destruction. And we're building in arrogance. And we're running right towards destruction. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Because what happens when we're full of pride, the devil knocks and he starts to say, hey, you should take a census. You should take a selfie. You should, you should do, and you know what we do? Because we think I'm, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'll go ahead and open the door. I, I can take on anything. And so we go ahead and open the door because we think to made our enemy and think so much of ourselves that we don't really need God. God, I got this one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's when we're in deep trouble. All of us. James 4, 6. And I, I, I want you to see here what, what kind of a shift happens in our faith walk and in our spirit, man, when we begin to have pride. We willingly open up that door and God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That's, that's a vast contrast. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. 
Those are military terms. Opposes the that that literally means in the Greek it means that he you have the full force of heaven opposing you. All the armies of heaven, when you are full of pride, he 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 resists you. He builds a resistance to you. But when you submit yourselves to God, that's the other way around. Like whenever I submit to a general and say, I'm, I'm, I, I salute you. You are above me. I submit myself under you. That's what God wants from us. And just like Satan, we, we, we talked about this early on in this series that there was a time when Satan was in heaven and God cast him out because he said, I will lift myself up on the level of God. You cannot defeat the enemy. You cannot defeat the demons you flirt with. If you decide, hey, I, I, I can deal with this, there's no way you can defeat those enemies. Because we only overcome them by the power of God. James 4.4 4 says, friendship with the world is hatred to God. Well, I don't hate God. Wow. Jesus was clear, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Pride leads to a fall. And I want to, before I close here, I want to just, most, most of the time we only talk about the big ego side of pride. But I want to I show you another side of pride that you might be that one that's sitting back thinking, you know, well, Pastor Sean, that whole thing you just said right there, that's not me. <laughs> In fact, if I'm on that. If we're talking about me, I'm I'm more insecure than I am full of myself. I, it, you might be thinking that I I don't have an ego. I want to show you another side to pride, and that is, it kind of comes in the same way where maybe we're comparing ourselves to other people, but instead of me saying, "Man, I'm doing pretty good compared to that guy," I'm not pointing at you, brother Kenny. <laughs> But we start comparing ourselves, and all of a sudden, instead of us thinking, man, I'm doing really good, but in that comparison, we find ourselves saying, man, I'm not doing very good. We start finding ourselves saying, oh, man, I'm not, I'm not worth very much. We start feeling insecure. We start feeling the brokenness that we are. I saw a couple of pictures this week that really gives an example of what happens in social media. We look at other people and we think, wow, that looks amazing. Look at those muffins. I wish my house looked like that. <laughs> when really the reality, show me the next one. Just over and over again, people build this perfect little image that we see online and we think, compared to that, these guys are so amazing. They've got this style and, they, and then you can just roll through the rest of them. They create something to put on social media and we compare ourselves to that when we don't know what they're struggling with. People only put the best online. And maybe it's just looking at the people who live next door to us and saying, man, they have a better car than me. Their life is better. I can't get anything together. And here's the problem. We're still focused on me. I'm still focused on myself, whether it's insecurity and self-pity or whether it's the ego that rises up. It still comes out of comparison and it still is me focusing on me. John Piper said this, boasting is the response of pride to success, but self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. They're both a response of pride, but one comes 
from one direction and the other comes from the other direction and still we're living our life in pride because I'm, all I can see is me. If my life is self-centric and self-centered, all I can see is myself and really everything, all I can see is everything in, in reflection of me, good or bad, I have a problem with pride. So Satan was cast down and if we look back In Isaiah, describing that fall, there are five things that Satan says in heaven as he's looking at God. His job is to worship. His job is to lead worship. In fact, the Bible says that his body was an instrument of worship. He says, he gives five I will statements. And we can see ourselves in those five statements full of pride. He says, I will ascend to the heavens. He says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And you may never have said those words, but I promise you, you've said this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to build my life and I'm going to, and we, we get so focused on, I will do this. And I'm just, I'm just going to, You might be on the exact opposite spectrum, but you're still saying the same things like, well, I'm just going to hurt myself. I'm just going to give up. And I am going to, I, I, I. My life is built on me. And whether it's out of success or failure, we still find ourselves trudging on towards destruction, never even knowing about it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm paraphrasing, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. If you can take this away from me, take it. Take this cup. I don't want it. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die for all the sins of the world. I don't want to give my life in a bloody mess for every problem that, ha- that is for the rest of the world. But at the end, he says this, not my will, but thy will. It's the exact opposite of of the devil where he says, I will. And Jesus says, thy will. So I think we all have the same choice between, are you going to say, leaving this this moment, are you going to say, I will? Or are you going to say, God, thy will be done? The choice is simple, but it requires that we look at ourselves in a way that we haven't and it requires that we say okay I desperately need God and I need to be I need to humble myself before I get humbled you're never weaker than when you're full of pride but you're never stronger than when you're humble before God and we come before God at the end of the service and you have a you have a great opportunity to just say okay God I give you like earlier in the service when we said Here I am, God. This is my worship to you. That's the same thing where we say, okay, God, here I am. This is my life. It might not be much, but this is me. And when we give him our life, he takes it and he makes so much more out of it. If I am less and he is more, and I want to let it be about him and not about me. Here's the deal. If I give him my marriage, then my marriage is not about me. 
It's his marriage. So instead of me saying, God, this is my marriage. And I look, if we start to pray differently and saying, God, this is your marriage. Help me make it what you want it to be. God, these are your kids, not my kids. Like, not God fix my kids. How about God? These are my kids. I give them to you. Please take them. Help me to make them. Let me be a good steward of what you've given me. How about instead of me saying, God, this is my paycheck. Help me make more money. How about saying, God, this money is yours. How about saying, God, every relationship I have is yours. You can have it. It's not mine. I don't want it to be a measure of who I am. Take it and let me make the most of it. And then we look around and survey my life just like Moses did. And just like David did, we survey the kingdom of our life and say, God, this is your kingdom, not mine. Not my will, but yours. Even when Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, he starts off with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He doesn't say, well, here I go. I'm going to go out and make the best of my life. You may be sitting in the service today thinking, yeah, I have battled pride. I, I've, listen, right now is your time to make a difference. Now, Right now is where we can, in our hearts, symbolically, it, take this moment and say, okay, God, this is my life. If I'm going to give it to you. So if that's you, I'm not going to ask everybody to close their eyes, but I just want you to be bold for a minute and say, yes, I want you to just raise your hand up and say, yes, I've struggled with pride. I'm telling you right now, that's me too. That's me. Where we struggle with pride and my life becomes about me. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand up and we're going to say a prayer and we're going to say, God, this is my life. It's yours now. I think we all struggle with that because that's human nature. In a second, we're going to pray together. In fact, let's just take a moment right now and in your heart, would you just surrender to him and say, God, this is my life. It belongs to you. Thank you, Jesus. Everything I am, it belongs to you. Inside, the outside, the bad, the good, the successes and the failures, they're all yours, God. Take it and make it your will. In Jesus' name, we submit to you this morning. Maybe you're sitting here in the service today and you've never said a prayer of surrender to God and you've never said, God, I want to give you my life. Today's your day. You may be tired of doing things your way and fighting and struggling and trying to figure out life from the outside of the kingdom of God. I'm telling you right now that you cannot understand the kingdom of God until you cannot understand the light until you're in it. You can't stand in the dark and look at the light and say, what's that all about? Without actually going into the light. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is so much better. Today might be that day for you where you walk out of the darkness, out of pride and into humility and giving your life to him. So if you've never said that prayer before, I would like everybody in the room, would you just bow your head and close your eyes right where you're at? Thank you, Jesus. If that's you today and you've never given your heart to God and you want to say that prayer today, I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want you to let me know that's me and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Would you just put your hand up real quick? Just show me where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'd like every person in the room to pray this prayer with me as we give our lives to Jesus, whether you've said it a hundred times or never before. Let's let nobody be praying alone. And if that's you sitting at home watching this live stream, I want you to pray this prayer with us too. Let's make this a moment that will change eternity. Would you repeat after me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross for our sin. Today I give you my life. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me. Breathe new life into me. Let this be my birthday into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that sounds like a simple prayer, but I'm telling you, that, that single act of surrender is one that will change the rest of your life. For everybody who said that in this room and at home, for all those people who raised their hands, let's just give a great big hand to them right now. What an awesome day. What a moment of, of triumph where we get to step into the kingdom of God and start walking by faith. If you said that prayer for the first time today, I want to say thank you. And what a time to celebrate. I'd love for you to fill out that connection card that you got in your worship guide and put it into the offering. In fact, the ushers are getting into position right now. We're going to give in the offering. The band is coming. And we're going to spend just a moment in worship. And for the last time this month, I'm going to, I'm going to show you a, a quick verse. If you are a member of Relate, this is your home church. This is where you call home. I want to encourage you as you always do, to give in the offering. But I want you to know that your giving, it matters so much. It means so much to us. And not only am I thankful that it helps us continue to do what Relate was born to do, to change lives and to see people get to know God and reach into the darkness and feed hungry people and meet the need right where it's at in this city. I want you to know that when you give into the church, or the Bible calls it the storehouse, his house, whether it looks like a movie theater or whether it looks like a church with a steeple, we are the body of Christ. This is the house of God. And so when we bring our tithes and when we bring our offering, although there are many ways to give, it goes into the kingdom of God like a seed goes into the ground. And I'm telling you that we expect a seed to produce fruit. If you give to the poor, if you take your shirt off and you give it to the poor, or if you feed someone, you don't expect that to come back. We're not supposed to expect it to come back. But when we sow a seed into the kingdom, we always expect it to come back. That's a different kind of giving. And so in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple, enough provision to continue doing the things that we're doing. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough to take it in. I don't know about you, but I want for the Lord to be able to bless me so much that I can't take it in. He is an awesome God. He continues to bless us and provide for us in the church and in my home. And then he says, one thing that he doesn't say anywhere else in the Bible, and that is, try it. Put me to the test. If you've never been a giver, or if you've never tithed, if you don't understand that tithe is a word that literally means 10% operations, I want to challenge you. 
Try it. Test God. Because I don't know a single person who, ever ha- who has ever said, okay, God, I'll try tithing. And, it, it, and something happens in the world. Something happens in the atmosphere. Something happens. I'm not trying to get too super spiritual, but I'm telling you, something spiritual, something supernatural happens. It's a law in the spiritual world where when we tithe and whenever our hearts make that change, something changes. Now, I never take a long offering, so I'm done. So you can start breathing again. He's done talking about money. (laughs) I want you to be blessed and I want this church to be blessed. And so I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over you. Would you hold your tithes and your offering in your hands and that connection card if you have it? And then we're going to spend just a, a minute in worship as we give. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning humbly and, and present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Every part of our lives, God, our families, every relationship, every amount of money, our jobs, our kids, everything, God, we just submit it to you and say, God, it's yours. We ask you to multiply those things. We ask you to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we can't contain. In Jesus' name, let's give this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.